In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on Jesus' first day on the job, he does a miracle. And the most obvious thing about the whole shenanigans that follow is just that you don't want your kids to act this way. He is crass and rude before turning water into wine so that drunk people can get drunker. God gave the people more than they could handle. It's not unusual, even though we pretended otherwise. Everyone serves the good wine first, and because I'm sure that you don't know this, if you drink too much, you sort of stop caring what it tastes like. So you bring out the good stuff first, and then you switch to the cheap stuff when everybody's past the point of caring. So don't say you never learned nothing in church. This is kind of the problem, that kind of uncomfortable silence. If the very first thing that comes to mind when we read the gospel is to try and explain away Jesus, you know, his attitude towards his mother, the miracle of turning water into alcohol for a party, well, if the very first thing that comes to mind is to explain away Jesus, it says more about you than it does about him. Even the commercials would say only drink in moderation. Everyone's uncomfortable with the Lord. It's sort of the whole point of the very first miracle of Jesus. He goes right after the problem. See, the problem is that most of us are actually a whole lot more comfortable with the stone jars used for the rites of purification. Comes with a real nice ceremony, pretty prayers. It's very inoffensive. You say, look, I took the time to do the ceremony. I said all the right magic words. I can say I'm clean now. I can say I fit now. Most of all, I can measure it. Week after week, me being here proves I appreciate this religiosity. I understand it. And it's great because I can measure it. It's great because then I can, after going through the rites of purification with those very inoffensive stone jars, start to complain about a world that doesn't appreciate it nearly as much as I do or else they would be here too. Never mind, when was the last time you actually invited somebody to church? You know, to appreciate it with you. See, that's why I love the stone jars. Wash the outside, ignore the inside. That's right up my alley. It truly is. Except that Jesus goes and fills them up for wine for the people who have already had too much. And I gotta think it's on purpose. I honestly think that Jesus turns water into wine using the jars for ceremonial rites of purification for anyone who has ever walked in our doors on a Sunday morning, walked back out of them, ate lunch, and then realized they felt exactly the same as they did before they went in, with all the same problems and all the same vices, and wondered what in the world this actually fixed. See, whatever happened in this miracle that makes us so uncomfortable it manifested God's glory. The disciples believed in him. 
It was a great sign, which means it's just got to be something more than like a divine beer run. Because if you're God Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, this honestly isn't even that hard to do. Like, honestly, look at the miracles that the prophets did. Those were more impressive than simply turning water into wine. It's just, I understand that I would use that party trick an awful lot, but if you are God of God, light of light, very God of very God, you can do better for your opening act. This is how you get people's attention. This is how you start the show. This is the first of the great signs that Jesus did. And it's just not all that impressive. It has become the butt of how many jokes ever since? And the proof text for what? It's okay for Germans to drink beer because we're Lutheran. If you actually want to see what made this sign so glorious, it's not in the power that it took to turn water into wine. It's who Jesus gives that wine to. That's what shows what kind of God he is. That's where the epiphany, the revelation of God, manifests itself. See, there's no good reason at all to waste good wine on people who've already had more than they can handle. They don't appreciate it. They don't enjoy it for what it is. They waste it. There's no reason to keep dumping money into a junk car. Like, honestly, when you are putting more into the car to fix it every month than a payment for a nicer car, go get something nicer. Don't throw good money after bad. Which means there is absolutely no good reason at all to send good gifts after sinners. Because you don't really care. You don't really appreciate what our Lord has done for you. You waste and you abuse. And you can say otherwise all you want, but the simple fact that you go home again and do the same stupid sins that you did last week kind of speaks to that not being true. And I know because I do the same thing. My Lord, in all of his mercy, literally died so that I might have mercy last week for the awful sins that I committed. And I said, Amen as I received the forgiveness in the body and the blood. And then, Monday, I was the same kind of idiot. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So, this is how our Lord would show us what kind of God he actually is. This is where he epiphanies. This is where he manifests his glory. He gives you sinners more. If you want to know what kind of God we have, don't simply look to the fact that he is powerful. Look to the truth. He is merciful. He gives mercy to sinners, not because we deserve it, not because we make good choices or act like good stewards, not even because we appreciate it to its fullness or acknowledge it or give it enough praise as it deserves, but simply because the third day means something to the Lord. The third day is where things Live. The third day is the day, whether you appreciate it or not, deep down in your heart of hearts, Christ rose from the dead. See, he already did all the work. 
Our Lord came into this world to bear the cross for sinners who did not appreciate it, did not acknowledge it, did not earn it. The Lord came into this world to bear the cross for sinners who are up against way more than they could handle. Because as much credit as we like to give ourselves, we have yet to escape from the bondage of sin and death. And so our Lord, seeing that we are overwhelmed by all of the things that we are up against between the devil, between the world, between our own sinful flesh, came into the very same misery and sin, came to bear the cross to forgive you all of your sins, and there he bled his last. There he died for you that your sins would be forgiven you. And after being buried in the tomb three days later, he rose. He has conquered death. Your sins are gone. As far as Christ is from the tomb, your sins are gone, for Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Each and every sin is gone. And it's not because they don't matter. They cost. You can see how much your sins cost. But recognize that they were paid for too. For as much as your sins cost, your Lord paid it in his own precious blood. He bled on Good Friday for those who cried at the cross and for those who denied him three times before the rooster would crow. He bled on that cross for sinners. For me, who has yet to escape the same kind of stupidity as I was inside of last week. And for you, who struggle and seem to fail more often than not. Jesus died for you so that all of your sins would be forgiven. And Jesus forgave them all. Jesus destroyed your death. Jesus has given you life. And so on the third day, there was a party. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee because the bridegroom claims the church, the bride, and he celebrates. Our Lord manifests his glory not in power, but in mercy, giving abundantly to sinners who do not deserve it. He gives more than we can handle by the law and then gives more than we can handle by the gospel too. Because it's not about you. It's for you. All of it. The law is for you but it is about God. The gospel is for you and still about God. In the midst of all of the awful stuff going on, recognize this truth. The Lord gives good gifts to the undeserving, and that is worth rejoicing over. That's the whole point of the text this day. Jesus doesn't wait for folks to appreciate it. The church isn't a chance to measure how good you are by dressing up and going through empty rituals week after week. It is Jesus sending more good after bad. And it is for you. Every single week, your Lord would manifest his glory here to pour out mercy for you. Every single week, whether or not you are moved to tears by the body and blood that you would eat and drink, our Lord manifests glory that you would eat and drink mercy and life and even salvation. Whether you appreciate it or not, there is good wine here for you even blood of God for you. And you can't change that fact. He made it that way. You can't undo it either. The church isn't set up so the most appreciative can show how appreciative they are. The most heartfelt can give more praise and the wisest can gather so they can, you know, be all wiser than the rest and such. This building stands so that God can give mercy to you and me because we need it. But whatever you've done, whatever has been done to you, however empty you feel, 
However frustrated you are that you have yet to escape the vice that you wrestle with week after week after week, there is good wine here for you. There is forgiveness here for you. God shows up, bringing glory, sending good after bad, sending mercy for you. It's more than you can handle, but there's no such thing as too much grace for you. In the name of Jesus, amen.